Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I was, okay, you passed the test. I was waiting to see if someone threw it back at me just to see how that would sound. So I want to take a moment and thank all the women in our church for the role you've played. And I, I mean that with sincerity. For 50 years, this church has had women who have pursued Jesus and helped other people do the same, who've loved and cared for us uh, in, in ways that we, like the video said, couldn't care for ourselves. And so we're grateful for that. Thank you. Mother's Day comes with a paradox for me every single year, and it's without fail. I, I, I sometimes think maybe it'll be different, and then it's not. It's a paradox of both joy and grief. Grief uh, because I, I miss my mom. I miss her a lot. Today is just a powerful day for a lot of reasons. I just wish she could have met her grandchildren. And every year I'm reflecting on the milestones that my kids have hit that she didn't get to see. That makes it hard. And I know in our church family, there's a lot of you that feel the same way. It's like Mother's Day is awesome and yet horrible all at the same time. And this wave of grief just kind of crashes onto you and you just, you feel it. For many of you, because you miss your own mom, you wish that she could be here. Many people in our church, many mothers in our church have also, Mother's Day comes with grief because they've lost a child. It's like this reminder that hits them every Mother's Day with all the celebrating comes with this weight, this difficulty. We've had many in our church that have struggled with infertility and they want so bad to celebrate this day and they can't. And it's hard. Many who have had miscarriages as well and we've, we've had special prayer times for them because they they feel the weight and the grief of this day as well. And so we can't take that pain away. Honestly, can't even relate to it. But for those who have experienced infertility and those who have gone through a miscarriage, the loss of a child, we just want you to know that we see you. And I mean that with sincerity and that we pray for you and we pray for you this week. And I know it's not any kind of uh, way to really bring about healing, but we, we have a gift for you. There's a table in the lobby. It's got uh, gift bags with some of you who are experiencing that grief today, some of you ladies that are going through that grief. And today is not just easy and fun for you. We want you to have that gift. The paradox, though, is not just grief, but there's great joy. For me, the joy comes in every single Mother's Day. I am wowed once again because I get to watch my wife be such a good mom. And I'm always blown away by her. Her creativity, her intentionality, the way that she can love and, and, and lead my children. And I can't wrap my brain around it. And I just find myself overwhelmed with gratitude on Mother's Day for my wife. And many of us have a lot to celebrate on a day like this. It's not just a sad day. It's a joyful day. Many of us still have our moms with us. Many of us have multiple generations of our moms here, and we celebrate, and we're excited. There's a photo booth. Take pictures together. Celebrate being together today. There is this paradox, and here's what I would want you to know, that grief and joy can and often do coexist. They do. And here's the other thing I'd want you to know, that in the midst of both the grief and the joy, we can give thanks. I know it's hard sometimes, and other times it's really easy, and in both situations we can give thanks. Look, I'm, 
I've said this to you guys before. I, I feel called to be a pastor. I, I love the pastoral side of ministry. And so I've wrestled with this. It makes me nervous to do this part of the service, but I've wanted to just have a pastoral prayer over our church. And I'm going to use this prayer wheel. This is not a gimmick we've been trying to do, just this next thing. It's really to encourage you to pray. And it's no coincidence that on the prayer wheel, we're practicing in our services this week, giving thanks. We didn't plan it that way. Sincerely, we're not good enough to do that. (laughs) It just landed on, hey, give thanks. And man, we can give thanks. And so I want to have just a moment to pray a prayer of gratitude through the sorrow and the joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of the women that have stepped up into our lives, our biological moms, our spiritual mothers, those women who took it upon themselves to pour into us. We are so grateful. We are better because of it. Yet today can be heavy for many. The pain of loss, the pain of desire that's unmet, can feel really heavy. But God, I want to thank you for that grief. Because that grief points to the loss of something that was good. And you are the giver of all good gifts. So we thank you. And thank you for the many blessings that are in our lives because those blessings are also gifts and all good gifts come from you. So this morning, on this Mother's Day, we turn to you and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kind of a hard pivot, but let's see how we do, okay? Uh, One of my memories growing up that was just very vivid in my childhood came from one of my basketball coaches who had this saying. He would say it all the time. And at the time, I was like, you didn't come up with this. And now I know for sure he didn't. It came out of a business book in the 80s. But he would say this to us all the time, Uh, just kind of harp on it. He would say the saying, success is about doing the basics well, most of the time. That's what he would say. Success is about doing the basics well most of the time. He had other sayings like uh, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. All those gimmicks that all your coaches had too and we all thought came from our coaches and they didn't. But he would harp on us all the time. If we want to be good as a team or you want to be good as an individual athlete, you need to do the basic fundamentals of this game and you need to do them as well as possible, as often as possible. And so for basketball, he would get on us big time. He would say, all the time. Box out, box out. I want that ball to hit the floor after every shot because you're boxing out so well. The best offensive possession is one with no dribbling. I mean, he would just constantly get on us about this, doing the basics well. And while it was looking back on it, I'm like, it's not original. I thought it was original. I've been deceived. It was helpful, right? The one thing he was missing was that we weren't athletic. And so you kind of have to have that too mixed with, right? And so it's like, hey, all the fundamentals in the world can't make up for getting dunked on, right? But you found this to be true too, right? The basics, when you pursue the basic parts of whatever it is you're doing and you do them well as consistently as possible, you find success. You find it in the restaurant world, right? No matter how good the marketing is for a restaurant, no matter how much hype they create and how excited you are to come and be a part of this restaurant, the fireworks, all this stuff, they're just, they got the top chef, all these things that they bring. You sit down in a restaurant and the burger's overcooked or undercooked, the fries are stale and there's no sweet tea. It's like, yeah, I'm not coming back. I don't care how good the show is. Like, I'm not coming back here. Flip that over, and many of us have eaten in these, like, hole-in-the-wall places, right? Hole-in-the-wall places, but the food is incredible. The sweet tea's real, meaning it's not made at your table, and it continually flows, right? And you're like, I don't care if the decorations are bad, the tables are a little broke down. This food's incredible. I'll be back. 
I was talking to a friend this week who lives in southern Indiana in this small town, and he told me, I don't really have a category for this in my brain just because of where I grew up, but he said, my favorite food down here, the best place to eat is at a gas station. I'm like, like, no, no, it doesn't. It's not. You're lying. That's not allowed, right? Gas stations don't do food. I don't know if you know this. But he's like, no, they have this smoker grill. It sits outside the gas station. It's the best food, and they sell out every single day in the first 20 minutes at lunch. They sell out of all the food they're cooking because everybody lines up because the food's so good. Why? Because gas station or not, you do the basics well, and you find success. You do it as consistently as possible. You're doing the basics. Same thing's true in your relationships. You've experienced this, right? A marriage, the longevity and the strength of a marriage cannot depend upon a few highlight moments in your marriage together of affection and excitement. It doesn't work. You cannot have a long and strong marriage by celebrating your anniversary well every year and doing nothing else. It comes from doing the basic parts of relationship, the basic parts of the marriage where the husband and the wife are doing the basics as well as they can, as consistently as possible. So for the guys, it's just learning how to say, I'm sorry, all the time, right? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry again. (laughs) Please forgive me again. I'm sorry, right? We do that over and over and over again, right? You do the basics. You invest yourself in the basics, and you do them as well as you can, as consistently as you can, And we find success. So here's the question. Why is it then, if we know that that's true and we've experienced that truth in our lives and multiple experiences from sports to restaurants to relationships, why is it so hard for us to stay focused on doing the basics well? I think in part, at least in part, there's a lot you can say about this, but at least in part, that's due to our restlessness. We are a restless people. We struggle consistently, constantly with this feeling like if I just do the basics, I'm settling. I'll have no adventure. I'll have no excitement. We're inundated with marketing and messages that are constantly telling us, if you want to live your best life now, it needs to have this. And you should add this and you should do this and you should bring this into the equation. And if we'll just do a little bit more, if we'll just travel more, buy more, experience more, that somehow we'll have this great life And we learn that in doing so, we oftentimes drift from doing the basics of living a life that's healthy. We just feel like if I just do the basic everyday stuff as well as I can, it's not going to deliver. And so we drift away from it. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I would highly recommend to you, he describes it this way. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The results, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more, which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. And everyone said, amen. We just keep going for more. And this cycle can wreak havoc on our souls because we find ourselves never satisfied with the everyday stuff of life. And so we just have to add more to it. We find ourselves chasing materialism and going into debt and then being upset, so we chase more materialism to numb the pain of the debt, and we just keep going. We go up from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship, one experience, one trip, one traveling thing, one purchase. It just keeps going. And here's the thing. It's not original with us. This has been a problem with humanity since day one. We want more and we neglect the basic everyday stuff of life in an effort to get it. Jesus knew this. I spent some time this week reading through the Gospels, and in my reading, I found it fascinating how often 
So much of what Jesus calls us to is a return to the basics of faith. He's not just adding brand new things. He does that. But so many times his call to people was simple. Just come back to the basics of faith. One of my favorite encounters that I read this week is in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus has a couple different encounters in Matthew 22. One is with a group known as the Sadducees. And they want to pin him down on marriage. And so they're asking him difficult questions. And their hopes are that somehow in asking these difficult questions that Jesus will say the wrong thing. And so then they're like, oh yeah, this guy's done. Don't follow him anymore. And so they try to pin him with a question and then he completely silences them. He just shuts them down. Well, then there's this other group of leaders known as the Pharisees, the experts in the law. And they decide, well, we're going to get him then. We're going to send in our ace. We're going to send in the valedictorian of law school. And so we're going to send him in and he's going to pin Jesus with a really good question. And so he comes in and he asks Jesus a question. And in asking the question, he thinks he's going to have him pinned down. He just thinks he's going to outsmart Jesus. And look at what Matthew 22 verse 34 says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. Now, if you take notes, uh, and, and another passage will come up on the screen, but, but if you take notes, That's an incredible line. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. So news had spread. 2022, that'd be like hearing that Jesus dropped the mic and the Sadducees had nothing to say. He completely shut them down. Now the Pharisees want to take their shot at it. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, that's a fascinating question too because the law had become a pretty complicated thing. The Pharisees with the right motivation. So please hear me. Oftentimes we give them a bad rap overall, and they deserve it in a lot of times. When you read through your Bible, they had good motivations over the years, and they added to the core of the law, those 600 plus laws, what we would call the oral traditions. And these oral traditions were just an attempt to prevent people from breaking the actual law. So you'd get kind of punished if you broke an oral tradition in an effort to not let you break the law. Good motivation. They want people to not break the law. Over the years, layer after layer created some complication around what the law is. And so to test certain rabbis, you would test them with really tough questions about the actual law. And so they come at Jesus and they say, hey, of all of the laws, what's the most important commandment? Of all of it, what is the most important part? And Jesus comes back with a brilliant response that's calling them back. Like, hey, you've overcomplicated everything. Let me call you back to the basics. And look what he says in verse 37. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40 is really pivotal. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. Verse, four, all of your, or verse 40, all of your ability to live a godly life, to live a life that God would be pleased with, all of it hinges on your ability to do these two things, love God and love people. We hear that and we think, well, that's boring. There's got to be more to it. What else can I do? And Jesus says, no, 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 love God and love people. He's calling them back to the basics. You've complicated it a lot. You've done a lot of different things. You've added teachings and you've added all these different things to what you guys are doing. And I'm calling you back to the very basics. You want to know the most important part about living a godly life, about living a life that God can bless? It hinges on these two things. Can you love him with everything that you've got? And can you love people? Love God and love people. And we want to complicate it. You feel the draw as I'm talking about it to think, man, this is a boring sermon if this is all we're going to talk about. I've heard this since I've been in church. I've been in church 10 years. I've been in church 20, 30, 50 years. I've been following Jesus. I know I'm supposed to love God and love people, and yet you feel the draw to drift away from it. We know it. 
But oftentimes we drift away from the very basics of our faith. And this was true in Ephesus. Do you remember Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? I love that Paul's message in this prayer we're going to study today pulls us back to the very first sermon in this series out of Revelation 2. And you might be thinking, you preach on Revelation 2? Exactly. We drift away from the basics. But Jesus had a message for the church in Ephesus. He said, you're busy. You do a lot. You've accomplished a lot. You've blessed your community. You teach incredibly. You, you guard false doctrine. You've made a big impact for the kingdom in Ephesus. Man, you're doing awesome. And then in verse 4, he says this, but I hold this against you. You've abandoned. You have walked away from. You have left the love that you had at first. What he's saying is this. You forgot your first love. You've drifted from the basics. You've done all this Christian activity, accomplished all these Christian goals. You've done everything. And on the outside, it looks incredible and awesome. But inside, you have drifted from the very basics of the faith. And then what does he tell them to do? He calls them back to the basics. It's a call back to the fundamentals of the faith. What does he say? In order to undo what you've done wrong by drifting away from loving God, here's what you need to do. He says, remember from how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Go back to what you were doing when you were completely and totally in love with me, when you couldn't get enough of my word, when you couldn't get enough of telling other people about the transformation that took place in your life because of me. Go back and do the things that you did at first. It's a call back to the basics. And Paul's prayer today in the middle of the letter to the Ephesians is a call to do the same thing. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to continue our study of chapter 3. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 3, we're going to start in verse 14. It will not appear on the screens, but if you have your Bible, we're encouraging you to bring it and open it. We want to get used to opening God's Word together. If you did not bring a Bible, you can't access it. Just let the Word of God wash over you as I read it. Here's what Paul writes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So Paul starts in verse 14 with this phrase, for this reason, if you were with us last week, in the very beginning of chapter 3, in verse 1, he uses the same phrase, for this reason. And then in verse 1, he takes what we called last week a detour. He detours away from what he really wanted to say, and he kind of has this inspirational moment where he wants to encourage the church. And so in verse 1, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then for tw verses 2 through 13, he just gives them this word of encouragement. And in giving this word of encouragement, he's reminding them that he is fully aware of his why in life. And we said last week, if you know your why, you can withstand any how. Paul's why was that the mystery of the gospel had been revealed to the Gentiles. And it was the goal of his life, no matter what he experienced, to have God work through him to reveal that mystery to as many people as possible. In other words, Paul's why was, I want my life to be used. 
to bring as many people to Jesus as possible. So if I'm in bad times, difficult circumstances, rough, going through a rough or even tragic season, I want God, the goal of that is that God would use my pain to lead people to the revealed mystery of the gospel of Jesus. If I'm going through a good time, I want him to do the same thing. The goal of Paul's life was to make sure that as many people came to know Jesus as possible. So then in verse 12 and 13, he says, so don't be discouraged by my difficult circumstances, Christians. Because whatever I'm going through, it's for your benefit, so that you can see that in any circumstance, if you know your why, making much of Jesus, you can get through anyhow. Well, now in verse 14, he's going to pick up where he left off in verse 1. It's like he gets back to what he originally wanted to say. And he says, for this reason. Well, for what reason? The reason goes back all the way to chapter 2, and it's this. That Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility that existed between people. So for, for them, it was the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, because of Jesus, the Gentiles can become Christians. And the Jews can become Christians. So there's no division among them anymore. And in our world, we would say it this way. There is nothing, nothing that should separate us from one another if we are in Christ. There is no dividing walls of hostility if we're in Christ. So Paul now says, for that reason, because the mystery has been revealed, no more division among people in Christ. Here's what I do. And he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So what he's saying is this. For that reason, the revealing of the mystery of the gospel through my life, I pray. And once again, we say, that's pretty boring, Paul. I mean, really, for this reason, Paul, I'd really like a coaching session. I'd really like you to tell me how to create a movement that through me and through the work of us in Ephesus, the world would be reached in a way it had never been reached before. We really want to know how to, to, to grow and build this thing. We really want to know the steps, the practical steps to get through things. And Paul says, how about we come back to the basics? For this reason, God's working through me and wants to work through you. And for that reason, I kneel before him and I pray. What does he pray for? Well, look at what he says. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being. Well, through his glorious riches, remember he referenced this in chapter one, that in chapter one, he says, God is so gracious and has so much to offer and he wants to lavish his blessings on us. And what Paul's saying here is that every day I pray for you. I pray that one of the blessings that God pours out on your life is the strength that you will receive through his Holy Spirit. For what? It's in your inner being. So it starts off with in your inner being. So what, that's soul language. So what he's saying is this. I want your soul to be healthy. It's one of my first things, that the strength and the transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit would bring your soul to a place of great health. This ties right back to the message Jesus gives in Revelation 2, or will give later on to the church in Ephesus. You can do a lot of Christian activity and still have a soul that's drifting away from God. And Paul says, before I get to anything that you're supposed to do for Jesus, I want your soul to be healthy. I want you to be in a place where your soul is so connected to him. And so how does he do that? He says, well, I pray for certain things. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That's what he says. I want Christ to dwell in your hearts. That word dwell, it's a Bible word. It's incredible. It means to take up active residence, this active residence. And here's the best way I know how to explain this to you. If it, for Christ to dwell in your hearts means this, that Jesus isn't just in your life, staying in your guest room. He moved into the master suite. 
He's not just this add-on to your life. He's not just that, yeah, I know I'm a Christian. I love God, I love people, man, I get it, I know. But he's, he's actively a part of your life and he dwells in your life. He's not just sitting by in your life. He's moving and he's creating transformation. You're experiencing intimacy with him. He dwells in your life. Why? And then he says, so that you can be rooted and established in love. He says, if you want your life to matter, it must be rooted and established in love, not activity, not doctrine, not knowledge not platform, not impact. You are rooted and established in love. I've, I've shared this with you before, but I vividly remember walk, driving uh, down south on, on Interstate 69, and I'm seeing trees tipped over, tall, big trees off in the distance, and they're tipped over, and I'm thinking, man, these are big trees, and some big windstorm had come through, and it had uprooted the root system, and the root system was not deep. It wasn't big. And the root system for a tree is the source of life. It's what gives it the ability to withstand the difficulty in the wind. And Paul is saying, I want your root system. As a follower of Jesus, I want you to be rooted and established in love. Not just all of your Christian activity or your Christian lingo and and your knowledge of things. It's love. I want you to experience the love of God. And he says... I want you to experience that love and understand in your life the, how wide and deep and high and long is that love that is found in Jesus Christ and that love to continue to transform who you are and who you're becoming. What Paul is saying is this, you'll never outgrow your need to understand God's love even more, ever. You'll never know enough, you'll never achieve enough. You always need to be reminded to start out your life for Jesus, understanding that you are love that you are loved and you don't need to earn it. And you don't need to do all, you're like, yeah, I know I don't need to earn it, but I, I lead this Bible study and I serve in this ministry and I help these people and I do all these things. And I know I'm not supposed to earn it, but I'm trying to earn it. And I would never say that out loud because I know how to give all the language, right? He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and he loves me and I know he loves me, but I'm still gonna live this life in a way that looks as though I'm trying to earn his love and appreciation and affection. And what Paul is saying here is this, I pray for you that your starting place The place that you would begin is a deep understanding of just how loved you are. You are loved. No matter how much shame you carry with you today, no matter how much guilt you have in your life, no matter how much regret, no matter how much frustration and difficulty, no matter how much you're wrestling right now, Paul says, I pray every day for you. I pray every day that you would begin with the knowledge that you are deeply loved. And from that place, you would be able to love other people. It's from the overflow of a deep understanding of just how loved you are that you're able to go and love other people well. Sure, you can do nice things for people that have the worst, most selfish motivations. What Paul's prayer here, though, is this. I'm praying that you would actually come to understand how much you're loved by God so that then when you love other people, you'd understand this. I can love you because I was first loved by him. And many of us, That's not where we're at. We've drifted from that basic truth so much so that something like this just feels like it doesn't hit us anymore. The very basics of our faith that you can love others simply because you've been loved first. God loved you, so now you can love other people is lost on us. So let me ask you a couple of questions that I've wrestled with all week. I wrote the sermon on Wednesday. I don't always do that. Ask men. (laughs) it doesn't always, but man, I sat down, I'd been studying Monday and Tuesday. I sat down, I wrote the sermon on Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, and Saturday were just a wrestling match, a wrestling match because the, the, the desire is to make it like more than it needs to be. 
The desire is to make it this big, huge thing. And yet the call of the text is to come back to the simple, basic truth. You're loved. And when you come to understand how deep and wide and high and long that love is, from that place you can love other people. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions that I think might help you. They've helped me. First question is this. Is Christ dwelling in your heart? I mean, active residence in your heart. Or do you just have him in a guest room? You'd be giving it up, meaning all your dreams, all your gifts, all your abilities, everything that you want for your life, have you honestly brought it to the feet of your king and just said, hey, this is an offering to you. Whatever you want to do with my life today. Every day, Paul says, when you wake up, are you bringing it to him? Is he dwelling in your heart? Do you come and you just say, everything I've got, God, it's yours. What do you want to do today? All my dreams, all my goals, everything that I want to go and achieve and do, I want to first come and lay it at your feet as an offering. My life is for you. Is that an active practice in your life? Let me ask you this next question. Are you rooted and established in love? This one was harder for me this week. Because the question that I wrestled with is this. What is your first reaction to disappointment or frustration? How do you, how do you respond to that? It kind of gives you an indication where your root system is. And let me tell you this, just transparency. I deleted seven text messages in one sitting today, this week. I was sitting down. I was getting ready to send a text. Seven different times I deleted it because all seven times it was going to lead to gossip. And I checked it. Like, that's not rooted and established in love at all. That's rooted and established in my desire for the person I was texting to see me in a good light. And in order to do that, I needed someone else to look bad. That's not rooted and established in love. That's one example of many. Are you rooted and established in love? the love that you've experienced from God and the love that he's called you to display to other people. Basic. Basic, but needed. So here's what I want to do to close out our time. Something pretty basic. I want to pray for you, but I want to pray Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to pray that this would be who we are and who we're becoming. I want to pray that as we think about these things, this type of a prayer is what we would pray for one another. And so you can read along. Uh, it's not going to be on the screen. You can read along in your Bible, or you can just kind of sit and let the words of Paul's prayer wash over you. Let's pray together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.